Devon Drive from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of 40K Radio. In this episode, the hosts discuss the latest announcements from Warhammer Fest and take a look at the Harlequin and Imperial Knight Codexes. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to 40K Radio. Hello and welcome to another episode of 40K Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Alex, and with me as always is Ashley. Oh, she was with us. Did you guys not hear me? No. We no. <laughs> oh, well, all right, hold on, let me turn on my There she is, there's Ashley. Oh, sorry guys. You know, technicalities. <laughs> and Jeff. Hello, I am here. And today we're going to talk about the news from Warhammer Fest, and we're going to take a look at the Harlequins and Knights Codex, uh, both the latest two codexes to come out for for 40K. But as always, as usual, we like to talk about what we've been doing lately, hobby-wise, and I think today we're going to start with JF. Well, we started with JF last time, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I, I don't mind breaking the ice. So what have I been up to? Well, hmm. I received a box from Matt in the mail containing a um, Forge Bane uh, box, so box in a box, I guess. And Faces so where, yeah, where where I should have been uh, probably working on my stuff for that escalation campaign I talked about last time, <laughs> uh, I've been building some uh, some Armager Warglaves. Now the smart thing to do would have been to just do the Warglaves because you know I already own enough stuff. And all that. But instead, I looked at one of those Warglaves and I went, <sighs> looks a bit like the other one. So I went out and I bought myself, I wanted to buy myself just a dune crawler, use the legs of the dune crawler with the top of the Warglaive and vice versa and create two things. Because I saw the conversion online that looked rad. Oh, sounds cool. It is. It looks really cool. So, but unfortunately, and when it's done, I'll put pictures on the uh, on our Facebook page. But when I got to the store, they didn't have the Dune Crawler because apparently you have to order that from them. All they have is the starter box. The starter box is a hundred dollars Canadian. The Dune Crawler is seventy nine Canadian, and I get other models in the starter box. Nice. So I bought a starter box. <laughs> I have a lot of Mechanicum, you guys. Yeah, those starter boxes are such a great deal. It's hard to pass them by. Um, and apparently everything I buy comes with a Dominus Tech Priest. <laughs> I have a lot of those also. And they don't really stack that well in the army, so it's not like having six of them is cool because you <laughs> smite people a lot. Because they don't smite. They're not psychers. They right. repair vehicles, kind of. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I have some of those, and I've been building those, and that's been fun. But conversely, I gave the Necron portion of that Forge Bane box to my brother, who immediately stopped doing his Blood Angels to start doing some really rad-looking Necrons, though. Oh, like cool. he's, had, he's had a color human mind for Necrons for a very long time, and I think painting all red was getting boring, like, and the idea of basically being given the materials to get started on this very cool-looking army 
Um, just give him the impetus to say, you know what, I I really want to get into this and try this this uh, this color scheme for real. So he's been he's been hacking on that, um, and I guess that's going to be our escalation league from now on, <laughs> which is cool. It's fine. I'm I'm good with it. I'm still doing the same thing, um, but he then I'll be fighting Necron. So the advantage is now we have like a couple of extra missions and a whole new thematic to play with because of Forge Bane. That's awesome. Yeah, been fun. So have you have you guys just been putting together models or have you played any games yet or with with Nah, the... we've just been putting together models. Unfortunately, I had uh I had a very insane deadline for uh, to complete for editing, so I've been very busy um just writing and rewriting and and, and correcting things in in a manuscript. So that took a lot of my hobby time away from me, which made made me kind of sad, but I really like editing, so it's really Sophie's choice of hobbies. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I look forward to seeing your your conversion once you get that all all finished and online. Oh, I'm 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 eager to paint it because it's gonna look really good. I hope. I think. And um, did you do anything else, or has that mainly been your your focus lately? That's that's been it. Like I haven't had time. I'm I'm playing a game not not this coming weekend, but the, the weekend after that, uh, we're 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 going to be playing a game. But um, I, I haven't had time to to late to, to actually like move some models around a, a battlefield in in the past maybe month. It's been really depressing. Well, hopefully Ashley has some good news for us. That would not be so true. No. I- I've been doing a little bit of I, I I just haven't been feeling very well lately, so I've been doing a little bit of dabbling in the painting. I finished the Forge World Avatar Ooh, that I've been yeah, painting were, uh, for a friend for like yeah. like a year. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I started that thing. Um I finally finished it. I finished it at the last second on Monday and then immediately dropped it. Oh no. Oh no. Um, a star. I, yeah, I was oh. I was trying to get it um, outside to dull coat it to make it a little little bit um, stronger and dropped it and its head popped off and his spear arm flew off or spear hand flew off, I should say. <sighs> so I had to glue him back together, wait super impatiently for him to dry and then touch up the paint that had chipped when he dismembered himself. Well, I mean, Jerk. from from things I've seen before, I can say that I dropping the forge with Avatar and only having the head and hand pop off is it could have been worse. Well, everything else was pinned. Yeah, I mean, but so, you know, I've I've seen people drop I've, I've, things and well, shit, I you know. I want. Oh, well, uh, right, he fell on the carpet. Like he didn't oh, fall good. on like okay, a hardwood. Like, oh, he didn't yeah, fall on the tile or hardwood floor. Gotcha, he fell on the gotcha. carpet, so he wasn't like. No, if I had dropped him outside on my patio, that's concrete. He'd have been in a ten thousand pieces, and that'd be buying my friend a new model. Uh, a while ago, um, I had a, a Forge World Trigon. I, listen, kids, back in the days, the Trigon was the not. <laughs> back in oh, my yeah. days, um, the Trigon was actually a model from Forge World made of resin, none of that fancy plastic you kids get to enjoy. And uh, I had just finished it, and uh, me and my, my wife at the time were doing an event um, at, at a, a local mall, and it was freezing, very, very cold. And I had only oh, yeah. glued the upper body with super glue, which broke because of the cold. 
So the entire top body fell on the asphalt in the ground, uh, uh, in the parking lot and shattered. Now, that is a lot of tiny little claws that disappeared. And unfortunately, we couldn't just stay there and find pieces. Mm-hmm. So my ex, who's an absolute angel, did go through the trouble of looking for each and every one of these pieces while I was setting up uh, the event and found about 90% of it. Oh, so wow. I just painted battle damage on, on the, the Trigon when I fixed him. And he's fixed. I still use him. I play with him uh, regularly when I play Turnids. But it was... I just to say, Ashley, I feel your pain. It seems like the world goes in slow motion as these things fall to the ground. I'm pretty sure that it took a full 30 seconds to fall. Oh, it's amazing. And, <laughs> the then, and, full and you can't move four feet to the ground. It, it takes like, you know, 30 seconds to fall and you're moving the slowest you've ever moved in your life. I've never moved more slowly in my life ever. <laughs> All I could do is watch in horror as the train wreck happened. Did you um, did you happen to take any pictures of the finished piece? No, because I broke it. All my picture time went away before I had to yeah. deliver it off. I'll uh-huh. I'll see if I can get him to to snap a couple pictures. He um, had a special base in mind that he wanted me to use, and then he used it for something else. So it didn't <laughs> actually have a base. So it's not like a fully finished oh, model. Because gotcha. he was like, no, I'm going to get something else, or I want to do this with it. He couldn't make up his mind. So I was like, here you go. Which is also part of the reason why he, I threw him to the ground was he wasn't attached yeah. to a base. Yeah. I was trying to use some of the blue tack to stick him onto my spraying table or tray, mm-hmm. mm. and it did not stick, not remotely. Yeah, didn't even try. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. It didn't even try to stick. So he just went Phew! face first onto the carpet. Well, no I'm... avatar. You don't have the keyword fly. <laughs> no, certainly not. Well, I'm glad you were able to get um, some some painting in, at least. Yeah, well, and and so I've been I did a little bit of painting just to get that guy off my plate because gosh, I have had him for a hot minute. Um, but I've also been diving pretty far back into the Horace Heresy novels. Ooh, nice. I'm trying to get caught up. I just finished the. Um, oh my god, have I really like blocked it out of my mind? <laughs> um. Battle for Abyss. Goodness. Um, yeah, so... So you only have like 30 to go? Yeah, only like only like, only like like 45 or something. No big deal. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty early on. Um, and But gosh, I gotta tell you, Battle for the Abyss, man. Um, you guys read it? Yeah, that was a really good one. I like that one. I have not. Oh, God, because I had the opposite reaction, which was... It was hard. Oh, really? Wait, which it, one is... Which one is that? Just like... Who's, who's it's it? this it's it's the scrappy ragtag group of some ultramarines a couple of space wolves and um thousand suns oh, that's, and that's and I'm a random about. random world leader who take on the word bearers and the biggest ship ever built by anyone in the history of ever oh wait no i thought I and they that one, and they chase it through and they chase it through the warp and blow it up i thought well i thought spoiler alert they blow it up <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> it's only it's only been out for 10 years maybe yeah. 12 so sorry guys <laughs> i haven't um, read it so but, i'm i don't um, know i'm kind of angry now <laughs> i would i would put it on the skip pile it's Oof, harsh. oh it was bad i don't want to i don't i don't want to be negative about it but it was not an enjoyable read there were so many 
crazy things about it that it could have been over in five minutes and it mm. wasn't. So the, the, the abyss was this ship that this huge, ridiculous, the biggest ship that, that Mars has ever put out. And it was all done in secret so that they could, you know, perpetrate the heresy and the word bearers come pick it up and they go blow up this one whole ultramarines ship with it. And the, the ultramarines that were supposed to get picked up by that ship were like, huh, where's our ship? And then eventually they find, they, they, they find the abyss. They, they track it down somehow through magic science, the warp, they track it down. And instead of the biggest ship in the history of ships, just blowing this little tiny regular ass ship out of the sky, it lets them chase it through the warp for weeks. They're on their way to go blow up McCrag. Like they just want to obliterate the, all of the ultramarines. That is their goal is to go and just blow up the entirety of the ultramarine system. And just obliterate everything. And they're letting this little ship chase them down. And they could have gotten like warnings out. There's like all kinds of terrible reasons why they should not have let that ship live for more than 10 seconds. And they didn't. And this whole book is basically me scratching my head saying, well, why didn't they just blow it up? Why didn't they just blow it up? Why didn't they just blow it up? So it was hard. It's hard. And then I was looking into it later, and apparently they um, did some major rewrites to this, or maybe not major rewrites, but but some there were some continuity issues with it not fitting into some of the other stuff because it was one of the real early ones before they had this whole like I assume two hundred long book long plan laid out. Yeah. Um. So they they apparently went back and like retcon some things to like make it fit into the timeline a little bit better i guess i have an old copy because a couple of those things didn't make sense to me from the other stuff that i know about the heresy um but it doesn't resolve the fact that there was a 400 page book where they could have blown up the ship on page 10 so it was not my favorite Hmm. not remotely but was there at least like some good character development or anything or good action scenes or anything like that Okay, so so this so it does the the characters were a little bit too much of their like legion, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, like, too the, stereotypical. The ultra, yeah, the ultramarine is way too ultramarine. Like he's so straight laced and he's just meh, 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 meh. and the space wolf. Oh my god, you put the space wolf alone with the you know the thousand sun and they were just gonna murder each other to death. And you know, and they. They just were a little bit too stereotypical for what they were. Like you, get, it gets a little bit better towards the end when like shit starts going wrong, and then they're like, "Oh, I have to be ingenuitive, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a world eater. I'm supposed to just destroy things, but no, no, I have to be smart about it, otherwise they'll find me." You know, and on and on. So, oh, and that was a crazy thing too. So this is the ship, the biggest ship that's ever been. And it, if you guys haven't caught on by now, that's because they kept mentioning that it is the biggest ship in the history of ships. And nothing, I, I, nothing, I was nothing was ever why bigger than this ship. <laughs> because it started to drive me slowly mad as I was reading this. They kept mentioning that it's the hugest thing ever in the history of ever. And I'm like, I got it, guys. It's gigantic. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, but so 
one of the world eaters, I'm sorry, the world eater gets onto uh, Scrawl was his name, gets onto the ship, and he's literally bumbling around on the ship, full of word bearers, for weeks as they travel through the warp, just like wrecking shit up as he goes on his way, trying not to get caught. Like what? It's the ship is gigantic. It must have easily a thousand, probably way more, like word bearers on it. What are they doing? Why? Are they, how do they not find him on the ship as he's literally carving a path around, destroying stuff as he merrily goes on his way? Like it just—it's well, badass. He, it he's... stretches your suspension of disbelief to the absolute breaking point. It's because the universe knows he's a main character, so. And well, it's but what? Spoiler alert! They blow it up. Um, you know this like ragtag band of like twelve dudes, four four ma- four like four special named characters and a couple of backup bros. It did have some neat some neat and interesting scenes. Um, there was um, some like cool little gritty stuff you got from the warp. Just because, you know, it's still at that point in the heresy where the warp is new to most people. So you get all these different and interesting perspectives of what the warp is and what it does. And the Thousand Suns guy, Imhotep, which is not a name I would have chosen for a Thousand Suns guy. It's just way too on the nose, I think. But um, a little. He, he gets to do <laughs> he gets to do his his, you know, his psyker deals and then Bringar the. Space Wolf is like he's he's must die and Council of Nikea and blah blah blah. I'm such a super cliche Space Wolf. So it was, it was just a little bit ham fisted and over the top. And then and then they all died. But they blew up the ship. <laughs> but he died but a heroic just, death. They sure. <laughs> I mean, there were lots of explosions. And I guess I guess technically they saved the Ultramarines from certain well, destruction. That's the real problem with the story. Yeah, right? I don't I don't know if they saved the Ultramarines from total destruction because the way you're saying it, twelve dudes took care of that ship. I'm pretty sure if they got to Macrage, there's more than twelve dudes. Yeah, right. Right. Well, they, they, they sounds like they, they would have been like, fine. <laughs> they were gonna nuke the planets from orbit and just like destroy the hell out of them. Um, with like they were estimating like ninety five percent total population loss or something like that. Now of course this is the word bearers who had the biggest ship in the world and couldn't blow up one tiny little ship. Did they manage to kill ninety percent of the people on the tiny ship? Um, they killed a hundred percent of the people on the tiny ship. See the problem oh, is, well, is that all their guns faced forward and the ship was behind them. Okay, you guys want to hear about the guns? So it Were has, they the biggest guns ever built? So it's not about the biggest gun. It's about the front-facing gun. Guys, it was behind a book. It had this huge, like, book with the word of Lorgar on the front of it. And it, it pulled apart. And the huge main gun, I swear to God, cartoonishly came out of it. And then fired. Well, I mean, to the writer's defense, that is ridiculous. It's a very 40k thing. I mean, they do build giant spaceships with like eagles on them. It is a super grim dark 
40k kind of thing. But the problem was is that so so they actually managed to damage this huge ridiculous ship with their tiny ship because apparently when the gun comes out it like makes this big vulnerable spot for them to shoot into the ship from. So oh, did, did Randy Quaid dr- you'll fly a biplane through it and it blew up? <laughs> Is that No, wait, wrong movie. Sorry. No, I mean you're not far off. Like <laughs> And then in the end, when they were making their, like, last attempt, they had the, like, torpedo tubes open so that they could shoot their cyclone torpedoes out of the the big ship, the Abyss. And that's how the good guys got in. Hmm. Like, what? (laughs) What? Come on. It's just, it was so bad. Like, how, uh, hmm. There's just so many. There's like lots of little things that just added up to a whole the whole time of me just going, mm, 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 no, mm, no, mm, mm, mm. And I just got increasingly frustrated by the series of slightly more ridiculous than the last ridiculous thing happening. So on a scale of one to ten, <laughs> oh gosh, an eight. Oh, <laughs> from the sound of it. Oh, oh, JF, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. no my, not a, not my an bad. <laughs> I have very low empathy, so I don't really understand how people feel about things, and uh, I may have misunderstood what you were saying. Uh, no, it was just of all the ones I've read so far, it was my least favorite, bar none. Which is a shame, because up to this point, I've really enjoyed most of the stuff I've read from the heresy. Um, there's been, like, little parts of here and there, you know, things weren't quite what I wanted necessarily. But um, I did start Mechanicum, which is one of Graham McNeil's. And I'm, like, I don't know, 10% in, and I'm already in love with it. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I've heard a, some good things a, about this McNeil fella. Yeah, yeah, right. And, that's and a good uh, one I'm also it, it doesn't focus on the on the space marines, right? It's completely Yeah, it's all about the Mechanicum. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty excited to see that. So like we got a little bit of stuff from the Mechanicum in Battle for the Abyss because it starts out with them on one of the um spaceports that the Mechanicum builds these ships in around Jupiter. So you get to see some stuff from their perspective. Um, one of the Mechanicum guys comes with them on the Abyss and is sort of like, I guess, helping them with the ship. I mean, it's a new ship. You know, it's the biggest, scariest, meanest, greenest ship that's ever ever been built. You, you know, you'd need some help from the people who made it to kind of make sure everything's going underway correctly, I assume. And um, so you got some some neat little bits of the Mechanicum from that. But this book is entirely a Mechanicum, as far as I can tell so far, and I'm really into it. It's I don't know a ton about the Mechanicum in terms of, well, I mean, anything that's not their models on the table, couldn't really tell you. Mm-hmm. So this has been a really interesting perspective so far. Um, but it also means that I'm only a couple of books away from the most favorite one that I've read, which is A Thousand Sons, which is also Graham McNeil. Um so he's like written like I like I don't know like twenty five percent of these Horace Heresy books, and it's great. I hear he's got a bright future, that kid. <laughs> well, he's um 
Not doing as many as he used to, I think. I he I think he works for Riot Games now, so he might be working. He does, yeah. He's got he's got, he's got a he's got a full time non writing job, which is probably fun. I think but he also, writes for for uh for Riot Games, so it would be a full time writing job. All right, all right. For, for for Horace Heresy, then I guess I guess I should yeah. say for Black Library, but yeah. But so you know, he's um I really you know I really liked Fulgrim, which is um one of the other ones that he did. And um, I think he did False Gods too. Now that I mention it, or now that I think about it, but A Thousand Suns was so good. And actually, I think it's probably my favorite. How good of, was it? The ones of the ones I've I've read so far, I think it's absolutely my favorite. And that puts it on top of Prospero Burns, which I've read too. So even though I have a severe Space Wolf bias, um, I think A Thousand Suns is probably my favorite one of the ones I've read so far. And those are the only two that I've read out of order. Mm. A Thousand Sons is actually the first one that I picked up, Jesus, ages ago. Like, probably pretty pretty close to when it was released, actually. Um, that was the very first one of all of them that I read. And then when I found out that Prospero Burns was, A, all about the Space Wolves, and B, almost a direct sequel to A Thousand Sons, I was like, yeah, let me let me get on up in that. And then I went back and started with the first one after that, ages and ages ago. So I, I got them. A, I got them a teeny bit out of order, but those are the only two I've read that are outside of the the quote the release order. Because I know that there's a lot of, I guess, fan lists where people are like, "Hey, you should really read them in this order instead." Right. Um. Which I thought about. Like, there's a couple of ones that you know move it around a little bit that I thought was more that you know was an interesting kind of way to do it. Um, but I think I'm just going to stick with release order and and be done with it. But I've been I've been working my way through those. I've been spending a lot of time on the train for work, so I get a good solid 45 minutes in in the morning and another 45 on the way home. So that's 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 a nice chunk of reading every day. I'm jealous. Barely have time to read these days. <laughs> and what I've chosen to read has been kind of depressing. But well, fine. I've, I've, fine. I've been I've been mixing it up. So I'll, I'll read a Horace Heresy one, and then I'll read literally anything else, and then I'll go back, and then I'll do another Horace Heresy one, and then literally anything else, just to kind of mix it up a little bit and break them up. So I'm not like I want to get through them, but I also want to enjoy them. So I've been I've been enjoying the break in between, and I've been doing like three or four books a week now for the last couple of weeks. So they're getting close to the um, sort of the conclusion of the series too. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid spoilers because um, I am a fair bit behind. Uh, spoilers: Horse dies. Ah, oh, damn it, Matt! God, how could you? <laughs> How could you ruin this for me? It's not cool. No, not just him, Sanguinus. There's a bunch of people that die. Yeah. Oh, come on, you guys. No, you know, you know what I mean. Like not, not like the big, yeah, yeah, I know she... the big sweeping spoilers that everyone knows. But no, I like the little, the little bits and things, and some of the more subtle stuff. I'm really looking forward to another um, Alpha Legion book too. Oh, that the the one. Uh, what was it called? Do you... I swear, if it's called the Alpha Legion, I'm gonna be so angry at you. No, 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 it's not. There's um, 
it's one of the ones I've already read because it's one of the ones that's earlier Legion. on. It's called Legion. Legion. It is Legion. I was half right. This is this is us. This is us at our most stellar. Um, <laughs> that book was great. But Legion was great. It was. I really enjoyed it, and I, you know, I had never really given much thought to the Alpha Legion before, but I really liked it. And I know there's another one in there that focuses on them as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, also looking forward to getting to Garrow because, oh, I love Garrow. Everyone loves Garrow, right? He's great. Um, but he's got a he's got a whole book with his name on it, so I'm looking for, forward to that one as well. Honestly, I'm looking forward to all of them. I'm so excited. As long as I don't have to read Battle for the Abyss again. Well, the ones that I didn't like particularly were the Dark Angels ones. I found those ones a little slow, but yeah, Descent of Angels was fine. It was fine. <laughs> she said with confidence. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a book. I want to say I don't want to say I don't want to say it was my least favorite before I read Battle for the Abyss, but that might be true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that might be true. Yeah, so I've read I've read ten of them. Yeah, I think because I think I think Battle for the Abyss is eighth, and then Mechanicum is ninth. I'm not going to count Mechanicum because it's not done yet. And then I read Crossbow Burns and A Thousand Suns, and A Thousand Suns is definitely my number one, and. Crossbow Burns might be number three. Flight of the Eisenstein might be number two. I really liked that one, too. Well, you know, but Legion you... was really good. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about 50 books, somebody's got to be at the bottom. So, Well, I'm only at 10 of them so far, yeah, so it's right, a lot easier to rank them. Um, but Fulgrim was really interesting, too. That was another Graham McNeil one. Mm-hmm. And that one went places I didn't expect in a really good way. I like a lot of the things in that I really enjoyed because they just weren't, I never really spent a lot of time thinking about Fulgrim or his Legion. Um, cause they're dirty traitors and forget that. <laughs> or <are> <laughs> <they>? <laughs> uh, we're not talking about they? the alpha Legion. We're not talking about the alpha Legion here. Um, Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> or are, no, there it's, that's, it's, that's the way it works for all the chaos guys. Or are they? Oh, no, they definitely are. They can, they can all burn. Burn in my cleansing flame. Um, but it was just really it was really interesting. And that one was cool, too, because it followed through with some of their remembrancers, which was really neat. And so you get to see more of that human perspective, but also some of that, like, human fall to chaos, which was cool and interesting. Um, I liked that perspective on it, too, a little bit. So that one was fun. But that's what I've been doing. I've been reading and a little bit of painting and nice. a lot of thinking about Tyranids. <laughs> As you should. Yeah. It's nice to connect to the hive mind once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> so I went I went to um, my local hobby shops, swap me. Uh, well, last time we recorded, I had just done that. And so I have all of that store credit burning a hole in my pocket. And I'm pretty sure I'm just going to go buy more Tyranids with it. You should get Night Hunt, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Well, why don't we talk about it now? Well, because we haven't heard what Matt's been doing. Oh, yeah. Yes, I got carried so away with, uh, with my I've, books. Sorry, guys. That's okay. No, I've, I've played a, uh, got a couple games in. I uh, took the Harlequins Codex and then the um, Knights Codex for a, a little test drive on both of them. Um. 
both uh, very fun games, and I, I think, um, and we'll talk about those when we talk about the codexes themselves. Um, so in order to play knights, I had to, uh, over last weekend, assemble three knights. So that... Um, That's all? 1,500 points, three knights. That's <laughs> just, it. just three? That's all you needed to build? Well, uh, courtesy of Games Workshop, we got one of the new knight kits. The, nice. Um, the Dominus class knight. And those ring in about, at about uh, 700 points, so... But I was are, wondering, maybe I should get one. I don't know if I'll have room they in my army. They are festooned with more guns than you could ever shoot. It's insane. But it, I, it was interesting playing knights, um, you know, because, like I said, I only have three models on the table. Um, lot, lots of, you know, lots of wounds, lots of guns, but... Uh, very short turns for me, which was not a bad thing. Um, and um, so let's let's hop over to to news. So there's Warhammer Fest because um, I'm gonna talk about something else I did. And so there's a new edition of Age of Sigmar coming out. Which since we talked about the Deep, and I figured we just mention this real quick because it's sort of a, a big deal. And uh, and two new armies. So there's the the storm the new faction of Stormcasts. But most impressive to me was the Night Haunt. Did you guys yes. see it? Yes. Yeah. I saw the Night Haunts for... Uh, Undead have been like back in the good old days of um, a, a little game called Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, <laughs> Un- Undead were one of the factions I was working on when it kind of switched to Age of Sigmar. And then I just got spooked and scurried back to hide under the skirts of 40k. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely looking at those and do, doing the, the, the source, uh, object source lighting you can do for painting and, oh my God, that black carriage. Oh, oh that, boy. That thing was, Ooh. dude, so the possibilities awesome. with that thing are uh, so out of control. Staggering. I can't uh, even. Now I, 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 I was disappointed that they announced this army because I love it, but the week <laughs> of these, well, because the week of the announcements, I went in hard on Meg and Nurgle. Like I have mm. like everything. For a mega cannon Nurgle. But I guess look, now I'll just at some point have it, two armies. It gives you something to look forward to. Just yeah, exactly. like me. I mean, I'm 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 deep on Sylvaneth now. Like I'm invested. I'm doing yeah. Sylvaneth. I've yeah. got my color scheme, I've got an idea for LED stuff. I'm I'm doing this. But it's nice to know that once I'm done doing this, there's gonna be some options, yo. Well and it's 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 nice too because kind of what we talked about with sisters, right? Like once Nighthawk comes out, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be playing it. But by the time I'm ready, it'll have died down a little bit. So there you go. Yeah. And also at Warhammer Fest, we get to see our first sister of battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although that was just a 3D model, right? They don't have anything cast quite yet, and she's basically kind of a I don't want to say a vanity model, but kind of a, a way of showing off something. That what people expect because she's essentially uh, this, the the same sister that we see on the the current codex. Well, yeah, I think that was sort of the, the point. Codex. That's why she was the first one they showed off. And she's you know she's probably you know a standalone character who will you know be in her own blister pack. I mean she had that super fancy base and everything. Mm-hmm. So that's that wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. But yeah, I like, it's basically a way of saying like, oh, trust us, we are working on it. Check this out. Yeah, but the, uh, I mean, the aesthetics look good on it. You know, it looks, looks like a good, uh, good direction at least for now so far with the, 
Oh, no doubt. I mean, the, the, the fig, the fig looks like it's going to be gorgeous. I can't wait to see it like actually physically. Um, I, but like whenever they say, Oh, here's, here's a teaser for sister things. Automatically. I want to know, obviously I want to know, are they nailing the aesthetic, which yes, this totally tells us that they are getting, they're getting the proper aesthetics. They're going to look gorgeous. But also my, my next question is, but what else? <laughs> right, right. Is there any hints of where else they're going to go? And Well, don't forget, they've got like eight more months to tease us with this. Yeah, and they're going to keep the weird stuff until the end. Like, yeah. they're not like... Yeah. We won't see, we won't see like, Sister's Repention until the end or something, you know, stuff like that, probably. Probably I not. I, I have a feeling, like, if we do see Sister Repension, they, they, won't they won't be at the end, but they certainly won't be at the beginning. Right. But at the end, like, if they introduce a new flyer or, like, a, an interesting walker, like, things that are really, like, the, the big models, like, the, the, the table centerpiece, those are the ones that we're going to get to see only very much at the end. Yeah, I agree. And unfortunately, those are the one I want to see right, now. Right. Well, now we got, we got some time to wait. Yeah, I know. It's okay. Apparently, I'm going to have stuff to read by then. Stuff that's <laughs> at my age level. Um, yes, yeah, so that was all the the big news from Warhammer Fest. Um, still no word on on what our next codex is going to be, but I, I assume that we'll get that information fairly soon as. Knights go up Wait, for what? pre-order this weekend, and that's the the last one we know about. Just was it not at Warhammer Fest that they announced the uh, Warhammer Adventure books? Yeah. Uh, oh, did they? I just I know that's a more recent announcement. Um, I, I I couldn't keep track of where they announced what, but it seemed to be roughly in the same time frame. Um, yeah, I could be wrong. Could be wrong, but I, thought, but yeah, I know I know they announced that. Yeah, those are uh, kind of neat. It's sort of like. Warhammer books for um, kids. They're for kids supposedly eight to twelve. So I they sort of take the the grim dark out. I assume and uh, well, they just make it a little less grim and a little yeah, a less, little less... Dark. <laughs> well, here grim dark light, light, grim dark light. I I have a perspective on that. The the one one of the things I don't first of all you don't need to remove that much out of the grim dark True. to make it sort of friendly for that age group because a couple of examples well first of all if you take a step back from wanting to impose sort of an adult perspective on 40k it's kind of a bit childish um i mean and, and there's nothing wrong with that like i love 40k i love the fact that it is like kind of a, a throwback to to childhood and just the way that um that that uh ashley was reviewing the book that she was talking about you can see the kind of like 12 year old perspective of, Oh, it has to be the biggest. And these heroes have to be the most badass and things like that. Like these are core elements to the 40 K universe <laughs> that translate super well to children's literature. True. So, I mean, once you remove a bit of the blood, some of the breasts from Slanesh, you wind up with a kind of clean enough universe to play with. Um, and, Another thing that's interesting is recently, okay, um, a bit about my, my sort of side career. I wrote a horror book that was reviewed by Voice of Young Adult Magazine, and it got a very favorable blurb, which has been kind of a running gag for me for a while, because my book I was not expecting would be young adult at all. Um, and But this weekend, this very past weekend, I was invited at Montreal's first young adult uh, festival, literature festival, as a guest. Um, so I got to meet some readers and things like that. And 
in preparation to that, I've been reading a lot of young adult horror because that's a, a specific subgenre. And let me tell you that the perspective we have of, oh, man, they're kids. They're so fragile. The literature should really be gentle is wrong. These books are monstrous. We're creating an entire generation of very damaged people with that literature. Oh, jeez. So, I mean, I, I think back on some of the stuff I read when I was that age, and I'm just like, Jesus, how am I not me- more messed up? That's, I mean, I read it in, like, seventh grade. Okay. I was really small when that movie came out, and it scarred me for life. <laughs> it, but just, just like, to I say was way that... Too, I was way too young to be watching that movie. My parents made a terrible mistake. <laughs> oh, I know. I know I was reading stuff that was definitely not meant for my age when I was young. But even oh, yeah. stuff that's meant for a specific age is a lot grittier than we give it uh, than we give it credit. And if you take a look at kind of the art style, also, I don't know. Have you guys seen um, uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender? Yeah. yeah. Not the movie by M. Li- M-, M. Night Shyamalan. But the super yeah, the, the awesome cartoon, cartoon. yeah. Yeah, the, the one that had a lot of very complex moral play and yeah, you know, addressed some very, very nuanced issues. No, yeah, that's not meant for adults. That stuff right. is meant for the exact same age group as these comics are going to be. So I don't think that the idea that this is just going to be, oh, man, there's a bunch of children. There's ch- they're saving the 40K universe through the power of friendship. I don't think that's what we're in for. I mean, I didn't think it was going to be My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, but... But I mean, Magic is heresy. There's a, so. there's a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of stuff that, you know, a little toning down is not a big deal. It's still going to be grim. It's still going to be dark. It's just going to be a little bit but, less explicit. It's exactly. And, and that's that's really the crux of it. Like, because I obviously once I started once I read the second book that really like destroyed my soul and that was supposed to be a young adult, I talked to an expert a librarian I know and asked, so what the hell? And uh, she explained, oh, yeah, young adult is not about the themes you explore. It's about um, no sex, you know, a certain limited amount of violence and very, very little, if any, swearing. But apart from that. <laughs> Go nuts, yo! Yeah, yeah. I'm not so, young adult approved. Yeah, no, I'm. I mean, but that's the thing. It's that the bar isn't where we necessarily think it is right. for these right. things, and and this is why I believe. Like, I don't think 40k, like these 40k books. I obviously it's not going to be like super super dark, and and and. But I think it's ne- it's going to have the character complexity that we might even lack in some of the fiction that we read right now because once you remove once you remove being able to be super explicit about this is horrible because a guy gets dismembered and tortured for seven days in a row and then he dies and gets resurrected to be tortured again once you can't do that anymore you need to find some other subtle ways of doing things and once you have to do things subtly you are challenged and you get to come up with ways of telling the same horrible things in a quote unquote acceptable way. I, I mean, it's not impossible. We're going to get some, something very interesting out of this. Also games workshop doesn't hate money. So if they can sell those to kids (laughs) and adults, I think we're going to be into that. I mean, there's, there's not a small number of things that are quote meant for kids that I get a lot of enjoyment out of as an adult. One of those things being, Avatar, the first, you know, the last Airbender, that was a super cute show. And now, of course, it came out when I was a kid, and I was a little bit over the target age range at the time. But 
you know, I went back and watched a lot of that, you know, as an adult, a bored adult in college, and it had a really great story and a lot of really good compelling characters. And that's, you know, not the only thing like that that I watch. I, I watched it in my late 30s, and it has more uh, more character complexity than most of the fiction that I read usually by, like, well-known authors. I'm sorry, like... All respect for Stephen King. He writes some great horror. His characters are well, puddle puddle deep compared to some of the characters in Last Airbender. I mean, you know, not every character you write can be amazing, but you know, what one of the things that I like about a lot of this stuff is that sure, it's it's meant for kids, but there's still a lot of stuff that you're going to get out of it as an adult. Exactly. And then some of it, some of it is just stuff that is really. So there's there's always like those you know those those things where you're like I can't believe I watched this as a kid and didn't get it kind of stuff. <laughs> so my favorite example of that is SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh geez, yeah, um, there's there's stuff there's, in there. There's there's so many things in there that as a kid, you know, I was a kid when SpongeBob came out. So a lot of this, you know, these are episodes I watched when I was real young, and now all of a sudden you see it as an adult, you're like, holy crap, how did I miss that? Well, it's because I was young, and I'm sure that that they're going to be able to get away with the same thing that, you know, there's just some things that you're not going to, that are just going to go over your head. Cause you're, you're a kid and you're young and you're innocent and all that jazz. Yeah. And I, I think generally for the hobby, like, cause one of the things that we tend to forget also is that time moves a lot faster than we give it credit. A kid that starts reading these books at 12 in after four years, he's ready for the, "Quote unquote real stuff." Like he'll he'll go from those soft drugs to the hard stuff very quickly. Um, <laughs> so it's in in that sense also it's it's a good primer. And I I look at my friends that play 40k, and a lot of them have kids in that age group that are like starting to paint models and start to be interesting. And why does Daddy disappear for one out of Tuesday two days during the weekend to play with toys? And why can't I play with his toys? Like. And so there, there is kind of a sub demographic to selling to your clients' children that way. And I also know that store employees are going to be really happy to be able to direct the kids that they can't show the actual game to towards a bookshelf of things that are meant for them. I mean, it's easy to get kids into once they're around, you know, the 12 or 13 age. I mean, that's that's when I first got introduced to fantasy. No, that's true. I, I mean, same for here. So I. I know there's been a lot of not even like I was actually surprised at the community, although they had a few people that like obviously traded some memes and jokes and complained a bit about it. Generally speaking, most people were like, no, I, I have kids and I want them to read this so everybody else can shut up. Um, and I like I agree. And I was I was very happy to see that 90 percent of the community was on board with it because the, the moment I saw the images, I went, oh, man. <laughs> Facebook must be amazing right now. <laughs> but I went to check. It wasn't that bad. So kudos, community. You done good. And uh, and so the the series have uh, interesting, premise, uh, interesting premise because each one, both the Age of Sigmar and 40K one, seems to focus on a trio of, of teenagers that, you know, end up in some situation. In the 40K one is with Space Marines, and then in the... Uh, Age of Sigmar, when they end up with Stormcast Trails, looks like helping them out to to defeat Necrons or Barbarians. So, as you do, yeah. So it should be interesting. Um, I mean, I'm sure, like you were saying, you know, I'll probably pick up one just to take a look at it when it comes out. 
Oh, I'm gonna be all about that uh, that Mechanicum kid. I like the I like yeah. the idea of a character that has like a, a weakness to overcome, and I love the Mechanicum. So I I have a feeling I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna enjoy that character. Yeah, yeah, I know it's children's literature. Come at me, bro. I don't care. It's all right. <laughs> hey, I've been spending the last couple of weeks catching up on Star Wars Rebels, so don't hate. Oh, that thing is also very well written. So good. It is. And just for the record, like anybody that thinks that my my reading is uh is is on a level that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt, go read the first time she drowned, and then come tell me I read Childish Things. This book is freaking terrible. It's super well written, but it's it's designed to make you cry. Oh man, it's rough, man. It's so <laughs> it's really it's it's. I was say, you want your really really soul crushing books to be badly written so that they don't affect you. <laughs> Pro tip. <laughs> well, I mean, since we're talking about books, you might as well tell the listeners the name of your book in case you're interested in picking it up. Oh, 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 for sure. Sorry, I'm super bad at self-promotion. Oh, uh, yeah, if you guys are interested in reading a horror book that um, I wrote, I wrote a book called The God in the Shed. Sorry, A God in the Shed. My, my editor reviewed the title before it came out. Um, yeah, I called it A God in the Shed. It's a horror book, and um, I've had people describe it as evil and bloodthirsty and give me a one-star review which is awesome seems like a compliment really <laughs> that's how i took it i mean i don't know why that's one star buddy because it probably sold me 10 books so um if you're interested in like a horror that's kind of like cthulhu small town stuff that's def that's definitely a book that you probably will enjoy <laughs> definitely probably um and just the just so you know uh, i also have pre-orders for the sequel going on you can find more details on my website, jfdubo.com. That's jfdubeau.com. <laughs> I did enjoy your book. I thought it was very good. Oh, shit. You, you read it? Yeah. Sorry. I read it when it came out. Oh, cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it then. It's on my Kindle. In the list. When you're cool. between books. Well, yeah, hey, for one of my oh, between wait, wait. books. <laughs> I'm really bad at self-promotion. So for those who are curious, Graham McNeil liked it. So there. <laughs> that's how you sell, that's how you sell that to us. I know, right? I work in marketing. You'd think I'd pick up on these things easier. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that was all the news from Warhammer Fest. Um, and so we did get a couple new codices as we were talking about previously. Uh, the first one was the Harlequins Codex. Um. And that is now available. And, um, you know, I, I, looking through it and, and um, you know, playing a, playing a game with them, uh, I, I really like what they did with the Harlequins here. Um, so, first off, we've seen points drops across the board for everything in the Codex, uh, which was good because they definitely seemed to, to be a little bit over-costed from where they were before. Um, but I mean, if, if I could, um, describe some of the, how the codex feels to me, it's, it's sort of a, uh, feels to me a little bit like they, they want you to press your luck with some stuff. Um, so for example, higher risk, higher reward type things. Yeah. So for example, um, a lot of armies now have a warlord trait where when you spend a command point on a five or a six, you get that command point back. Right. Um, right. What the Harlequins have, one of their warlord traits, is when your opponent spends command points, 
you roll a die, and if you roll equal to the number of command points they spent, you get that number of command points. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so, so, um, you know, rather than, it's just, it's like I said, it's a little bit of a, a sort of a press your luck kind of thing. And they're, they're, and they expanded out their psychic powers to six powers. And my favorite is the Mirror of Minds. Um, so what happens is if it goes off, you select a unit within 24, and then you and the opponent both roll a die. If you roll, if their roll is equal to or less than your roll, they, that unit takes a mortal wound. And then you keep rolling until they win the roll. Harsh. Yeah, it seems, yeah, it seems pretty harsh. So I mean, I like it, but so when I when I played my game, I I, uh, I managed to cast a spell three times. I did six mortal wounds, and then the other two times, one time, and then the other two times, I did one mortal wound each time. So good. yeah, but still, you know, it's that's what I mean. You know, it's it's sort of like a, a press your luck. There's no straight mortal wound spell. Um, you know, besides smite, you have um this mirror of mine is to sort of press your luck. Well, I, I kind of like the idea of going with the, with having a lot of luck involved because the Harlequins have that sort of like, they look like jokers, you yeah. know, from a card game. So I guess in a way, and they're all bright and shiny. So they've got a casino theme going on already. It's certainly thematic. Mm-hmm. So I'm not against it, especially like if it works. I mean, admittedly, if there's too much luck, it probably won't end up being a very like very heavy rotation army for tournaments. Tournaments goers like to remove luck from the uh, from the equation, which makes sense. Like you don't want to, you don't want your entire plan to fail because of a bad roll, or too many bad rolls. But I, as someone who, uh, although I play tournaments, I mostly play them for fun. I don't mind that. Yeah, and and um, you know the other. The other psychic powers, um, they still have the the same three that they had in the in the index, where you get an extra move, or you can get a you know minus ones to hit. Um, oh, sorry, there is a there is another one that just it's uh, called Shrouds of Light. It's like a smite and um, does D three mortal wounds, and the opponent gets minus one to their leadership. So it's like a a, a smite with a little extra leadership debuff. Um, I'm I'm noticing a lot of army. Well, not a lot, but some armies are getting that. Like the the Tyranids have the same thing, but it's it has a chance of removing a, a psychic power, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. And uh, and they do have um, the other warlord traits are a little more um, reliable, I guess you could say. So you know, so they have the one sort of push your luck one with the with the command point cycling um but i also kind of think they do that because with with the um harlequins you know they have so few choices in the army that it's easy to make multiple detachments you know what i mean like that's good like my 2000 point army i have two battalions and a vanguard so i have 14 command points off the bat whoa because it's because you know like i was saying you know it's, space marines there's if you take, grab the Space Ring Codex, you've got 30 or 40 different things you can choose from. Here you've really got, you know, six or seven. So it's easy to, you know, put that into different uh, formations. Um, they also have some really awesome stratagems. 
Um, one of my favorite ones that I used a couple times is that uh, if in a for one command point when a unit falls back from you, you can shoot at them after they move. Nice. So I I had a I had a unit with fusion pistols charge my opponent's Lehman Rust to tie it up, and then when he backed away, I shot it and blew it up. Nice. So that was very and, cool. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, oh, also what they did is all the characters in the index used to hit on uh, three pluses, right? The Shadow Seer and the Death Jester, but now they're down to two plus, so they feel more like a little more powerful characters, which is nice. Good, because that that is one thing that they've done, like give not necessarily make the characters powerful, but at least make them a bit accurate. Yeah, exactly. It it, it kind of hurt, you know, when you had your your. A forty-five point character before you know the Death Jester, and he was only hitting on three plus because he only gets you know three shots. Um, and lots of really interesting relics too. The the one that I like is the uh, it's called the Suit of Hidden Knives. Um, so Ooh. roll a d6 each time a hit roll of one is made for an enemy model targeting the wear in the fight phase on a two plus. That model's unit suffers a mortal wound after that unit has resolved all of its attacks. So, yeah. anytime your opponent rolls a one in the fight phase, they can possibly take a mortal wound. But what's nice is that you have two of your psychic powers that you have. One, you cast on one of your units, and your opponent is minus one to hit that unit. And then there's another one you can cast on an enemy unit, and they're minus one to hit. Then you have a stratagem called Lightning Fast Reflect uh, Reactions for two CP that can make you another minus one to hit. Whoa. That's not bad. So you can um, have you know your solitaire, who's sort of like a, uh, a semi guided missile, dive into a big unit with all that stuff, and then any fours or lesses or less that your opponent rolls, they're going to possibly take a mortal wound because they'd be minus three if you had all that stuff stacked up on them. Nice. Um, interesting, um, different, so, you know, like how there's chapter text or whatever, the Harlequins get mask forms. Um, so there's, um, some really interesting ones. There's, um, plus one attack when you charge, um, for the fro that's the frozen stars. Um, Midnight Sorrow can cons get to um, move an additional D6 when they fall back, but they can. The most interesting part is they can consolidate up to six inches rather than three in the fight phase. So Which, you get a, you as can, someone who plays Tyranids and has that on Gaunt, very useful. Yeah, that's. It's just you know you can just tie up other units really quickly. Um, the Veiled Path. This is this is sort of. The, like I was talking about how they have press your luck stuff. This is the press your luck mass form, and this is really I thought this was interesting. So at the start of each fight phase, you roll two dice and discard the highest result. Until the end of the phase, each time your opponent targets a unit with with this uh, mass form, so of this faction, and makes a hit roll that that before modifiers exactly matches your roll, that hit roll fails. Hmm. So sort of like an interesting press your luck if you know if you roll box cars every six your opponent rolls is going to be a fail, um, but an interesting one to to try again I you know I don't know if that's something you take in a tournament but I don't know if you take in a tournament but it's, there there's definitely some advantages to it yeah it's very interesting 
I mean, in a certain way, like you, you got a chance of removing one sixth of your enemy's ro- of your opponent's rolls. Yeah, and especially well, some, if you're when you're going up against um, you know, characters or something like that, they're gonna or even elite units, they're probably gonna be hitting on a, a two plus anyway. So unless you roll, you know, uh, a one or then you know you're gonna be removing some hits, most likely. Yeah. Which is which is pretty pretty great, like because if they're hitting, let's say on on two plus, it means five out of five out of six is going to hit, and then if you remove the sixes or you remove what what if you remove like the sixes and they get a bonus on sixes, like they get extra AP and you're removing that, right? That's very that that's actually you know the more I think about it, like I know you were talking about press your luck, but it it seems to have some added advantages too, like it. It can score okay, not score at all, but when it it can also score formidably. Right when it hits big. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems that seems good. I like that. And uh, of course, now just, just out of curiosity, sure. it it cancels out the thing. So let's say uh, a character has because we see a lot of reroll ones on hit. If you do get one, and the and the, that means it cancels out that roll, if I'm not mistaken. I am. Hmm. It says the hit roll fails. The, uh, I'm sure it's probably going to be an FAQ. I'm sure somebody will ask that. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting if it worked that way, though. If it just canceled the ones, then there would be no reroll. Exactly, and that's huge. That's canceling out what's usually a warlord trade or a, a character aura or something like that. Like rerolling ones to, to hit during shooting is basically the big deal of having a Dominus Tech Priest. Yeah, you remove that, you're you're removing a, a huge and important rule. And of course, um, you know, being Harlequins, the entire army has a four plus and rumble safe. Um, sure, why not? So, which you know, when I was talking to some of my friends about, it, they're like, "Oh, that's ridiculous." But again, but also, all your troops, everybody in the army is also toughness three, right? So mm-hmm. the majority of weapons are strength four, so they're going to be wounding on threes, and um, you know, the four plus and rumble save, fifty percent of the stuff's going to get through. And they're all one wound models, and even the transports are uh, only six wounds, so it's a very light wound count army too. Um, but you do have some buffs to to sort of help that out. The Shadow Seer has a six inch aura that uh, a, your opponent gets minus one to wound rolls against any Harlequin infantry within that area, so um, helps them make a, be a little more survivable. So the army overall feels to me like a glass nuclear missile. Um, you know, very, I like that can hit very hard, but if your opponent has a chance to bring overwhelming firepower against you, you know, you, you, are going to fail cause you don't have, uh, you know, like I said, a four plus save. So you're only going to save 50% of the wounds and be everybody being toughness three, except for the bikes. Of course, bikes are toughness four, but still, um, you know, it's, they're not going to last that long. Yeah. Toughness four is what you expect from a space Marine. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but still a very, a very cool army. Still one of my, one of my favorite armies. Um, we're actually at my local store. We're doing a sort of a, a league for the month of June and I'm playing Harlequins in the league. So I'm sure I'll have some more games to report on that. Very cool. So tell us about Knights. Tell me about Knights. Cause I have Knights. Knights. So, um, were they stompy? They, it was a lot of, like I said, it was a lot of fun. Um, it feels a little weird only having three models on the board. 
Um, I had the the Knight Valiant, which is the Dominus class knight, the close range one. Um, that harpoon is phenomenal. Uh, I took out a rhino with one shot with it. Oh. It well, so it's only twelve inch range. I'm sorry, Razorback. It's only twelve inch range, but it's ten damage. Damn. And it's minus six to the save. And Does it have I'm, any like rules, like it pulls things to you or something like that? No, it it doesn't um, pull anything. Unfortunately, yeah, that would be. But the only special it has is that if if whatever you hit doesn't die, it takes D three mortal wounds on top of it. What? Because it's just Damn. you're rocking it with just a massive harpoon, um, and the I also killed a so they have the shield breaker missiles which has no invulnerable save can be taken against them so those are kind of neat because um, you can spend one of their stratagems you can spend two command points to target anything on the board in range the range is seventy two you don't need line of sight and you can pick out characters. <sighs> So now again, now the thing about knights though is they all have the same stats. They're all ballistic skill three plus, weapon skill four plus. So you know you still get a hit, and if you miss with your with your you just you know you wasted two CPs. Um, but still, you know it can be a clutch. And the missile does is a strength ten um, minus four to the to the save. So probably not going to get a save anyway. No invulnerable saves and D six damage. So, but you yeah, can only shoot breaker missiles. Um, but this is on the Dominus class, the, the large knights. You can only shoot one a turn. That's the rule for the missiles. One from, from all of them. Uh, each ball or that one has total. Them, each one, okay. each ball that has them can only shoot one a turn. But they're okay, only I thought, on. I thought it meant every uh, out of the three of them, you could only use one a turn. I was like, oh geez. Oh no! But no, no, if but... it's one, if it's one per each, that makes more sense. But it's again, it's only on those knights that are like 600 points apiece, 600, 700 points apiece. So, so yeah, yeah, even even on a good day, you're only going to have maybe two of those, like in a normal game. Yeah, and um, the only with those with the Dominus knights, there's only the only thing you get to choose is the the there's three hard points on the top, so you can either have two um, twin siege breaker cannons, which are uh, they're 2d3 shots apiece, strength 7, minus 2 AP, d3 damage. They're sort of like auto cannons, Or you can mm-hmm. have – and two shield breaker missiles, or you can have four shield breaker missiles and one cannon. It's um, – you know, that's the only choice you get. Their other their other weapons are fixed. But like I said, the, the one that I played had the, um, the harpoon. It had a conflagration cannon, which is a 3d6 18-inch flamer, which is strength – it's strength 7. It's – it was insane, and uh, once you get close, and has two twin melted guns, so four melted guns. That's so insane. Yeah, it's packing. They're packing a lot of firepower. Um, but seven hundred points, so it's it's not yeah, like it's not right. like they're giving cheap. it for free. Yeah, it, it feels it feels right for the firepower I had, you know. Um, and all all the knights are. I'm talking about the. Uh, not the war glaives, um, but just the, the the these Dominus class and the other ones are the Questorus class. So it's like the Knight Paladin. They're all strength eight, toughness eight, um, and they you know they still have, they have all the different types of knights in there uh, with all the various options. I I think there was seven or eight different kinds of knights, and then the war glaives. So um, 
Lots of great stratagems too. I, I feel like the stratagems are a little more powerful, but only because uh, you're only, you're you're limited on um, how many how many models you have in your army, right? Um, and you probably don't get that many CPs. Yeah. So uh, the super heavy detachment gives you three CPs. So you're looking at six, right? Battle forged and the super heavy detachment. And there is one warlord trait that gives you an extra CP if your army is battle forged. Um, so that's not a lot, but you've got some still. I feel like, and when I talk about, you guys know about the relics, I feel like you need to spend the points on the relics maybe a little bit, though. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, like, you know, you have the Thunder Strike, the Gauntlet for the uh, the Knights, but the the Relic Gauntlet doesn't have the minus one to hit. And you're already, you're already only hitting on a 4+. plus, You know, so... Um, and what's tough, too, is with the objective secured stuff because they count as one model, you know, with they, they don't have any special rule that has them count as more models. There is a relic that has you, that makes you count as 10 models in that situation. So I feel like if you're playing an objective based, you know, a game with objectives, you kind of need to take that relic. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so that my or be very confident though, that you'll clear the objectives. My my favorite uh, stratagem is there is um, it you use it on a model equipped with a gauntlet, either the Thunderstrike gauntlet or one of the the two relic gauntlets, um, and for one CP you can try to you target a character that you're in close combat with and you make one hit roll, and if you hit you've you have basically now picked up the character so it takes D three mortal wounds. Now, you and your opponent both roll a die and add your strength, and if you win, he takes another D3 mortar wounds as you crush him in your fist. And you keep doing that until uh-huh. he dies or he gets away. Ladies and gentlemen, narrative gameplay. Yeah, exactly. I'd, unfortunately, when I played, I didn't get a chance to use it, um, but I was I kept looking for opportunities. I'm like, I'm going to charge this unit just because it has a character in it. Or I'm going to charge this unit just so I can get to that character. Um and just like, uh, you know, again, like Chapter Tactics, there are houses. So um, I think there is one that I feel like is a go-to, though. It's um, when you're looking at your stats, you know, your different tiers for your damage, you double the amount of wounds you have as far as the stats go. Um, so you start getting great at, at 14 wounds, but really that means you have to be down to 7 with that uh, house trait. Um, oh, and what was interesting, actually, you'll like this, Jeff, is that they give you stuff if you want to play them as a knight household or as a Mechanicum um, faction. Oh, that's neat. So you have, so rather than like six um, chapter traits or household traits, you actually have 12. You have six for uh, knights and six for Mechanicum. Same thing, you, so have, like, you have more relics. Uh, you have some more stratagems because you have some for both. So I thought that was really neat. This I agree. Is the stuff I'm looking for. I and love. I love it. You can also uh, take a knight out of the codex as a free blade, and so you know, like sort of a rogue knight. And they have um, six benefits and six um, detriments. So if you can, if you take, a, if you want to play it this way, you don't have to, but you can choose a positive 
trait and then take uh, and then roll and get a random negative trait. So, and these are stuff like the positive one might be always rerolls ones uh, to hit, but then the negative one might be bust charge units if possible. Hmm. It's very interesting. Yeah, so I, I feel like this this particular codex with the um, with the the knight's household and the mechanicum stuff and the freeblade stuff, it it has a lot of character. Um, I do still, you know, again playing, you know, if you're playing knights, if you're playing just knights, I think it suffers from the problem of if if you tell your opponent, okay, we're gonna play a game on Tuesday and I'm playing knights, and they say, okay, I'm gonna take thirty last cannons, you know, then you're gonna get you're gonna get raffle stomped, but. Mm-hmm. Which, but I, I, that's that's something that's inescapable with something like that. Yeah, but to me, if your opponent's doing that, they're not looking to have fun. They're looking to just beat you the crap out of you anyway. You know. True, and I mean, this is the kind of problem that you're going to encounter with other armies too. I yeah. mean, if I say, "Oh, I'm bringing my custodus," people are going to try to build, uh, you know, an elite army killing machine. That's that's why like sometimes it's better not to know what your opponent's going to be playing, just so that you can try to build some kind of come all list. That is that is what I I try to do is I try to build take all comers lists. And I don't ask you know what are you playing. And even though I have some friends that only have one army, you know I don't necessarily know what they're, what they're going to take in the army. So yeah, because not not all armies have that are, are that easy to predict either. So yeah. Um, did you guys have any? Questions about the Knights Codex? I do not. It's, it's a, you you were pretty thorough. It's, it's a codex I'm not going to look at until I have free time because oh, I have a feeling that if I play with it a bit too much, I'm going <laughs> to end up with a bunch of. I, I'm going to end up with more knights than the ones I'm building right now. Yeah, that's mm. the problem. Well, I mean, there's worse problems. That's true. You know, I, I was looking at it, I was like, oh man, I get, I have, I I, I have, um, you know, my, my couple Forge World Knights and the Knights I have, uh, the couple Knights I have, the two regular ones, and then I was thinking, oh man, you know, I could just magnetize these, and it's like, but, you know, what if I want to play like a 4,000 point game? I'd need more Knights then. But... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't, you can't, you can't shortchange yourself out of the possibility of playing a 4,000 point game with Knights. Exactly, because that's I feel that's when the codex really comes into its own. You only mm-hmm. need a few more, and you'll be all set. I know. <laughs> well, I gotta find out how much how many points these uh, Forge World Knights are. I'm sure they're probably six or seven hundred points apiece. They're probably a little spendy. Yeah, but it'll it'll round it out nicely. All right. Well, uh, that's it for this episode. So, no, uh, it's oh. not, Matt. Yeah, it's not. It's oh, not you're right. done. We need to. On our podcast, we need to talk about a podcast that's been podcasting. That is true. Podcast with the with the new Age of Sigmar, Games Workshop themselves have released their own podcast, the Stormcast. The Storm, the Warhammer Age of Sigmar Stormcast. Uh, the it's as of the time of recording, they've done two episodes so far. They I uh, listened to the first one. They're going to do three a week, and they're all you know fifteen minutes long. They're not not. Not too long at all, um, but they're very interesting. Like the first one, they talked to uh, Jervis Johnson. You know, they were talking about like, what are your favorite rules changes for the the New Age of Sigmar? Um, sounds like from what they've said so far, they're going to go in and talk about fa- the different factions and in uh, and how the new um, edition affects them. 
Uh, so it sounds like uh, it's going to be a pretty good show. And like I said, you know, it's only 50 minutes. Um, so if you have any interest in Age of Sigmar, or if you're an Age of Sigmar player, I think it's a pretty good way to, to sort of get your foot in the door, get some information on what's going on. Now, do you guys, have they announced, or do you guys think that they're going to do the same thing for 40K? I haven't heard anything about it, but I can't imagine they would do one for Age of Sigmar and not one for 40K. Yeah. That would surprise me if they didn't. I I, I agree. Um, and and just for the record, no, I don't feel that our show is threatened. Um, I, <laughs> well, I don't... I. It's it's my it's my opinion that uh, Games Workshop very much like when Blizzard did a, a, po- a podcast for a very short time. The idea is not to replace fan casts. It's it's basically to give them a chance to talking about the things that we can't talk about, and uh, let us talk about the things that they can't talk about. Yeah, well, you know, I, so the way that the podcast has gone so far, and again, I listened to the, just the first one, but they did a little news segment. So the news was a new edition of Age of Sigmar coming out, and then they did. Their, their interviews um, and it sounds like that's sort of going to be the format right they'll cover whatever whatever the latest news is that they're able to talk about and then they'll do an interview with somebody or talk about a faction or something like that but I mean it's great for them because of course they have you know Jervis Johnson is down the hall so they can just go grab Jervis yeah it must be nice hey guys what are we going to talk about on the show today I don't know who's in the hallway yeah right who's got 15 minutes who doesn't have a meeting I yeah I mean, you say that, but but we always have Ashley available, and we always have Matt. So I mean, that's cool. They don't have that. Yeah, that's true. True. <laughs> so that is the Stormcast podcast. It is available on. I listen to it through my iTunes podcast app. It's available also directly from them on the web. Uh, the links are actually on the Warhammer community page. It's on one of the banners on the side. You can get to the the page for the podcast. And it has its own website, stormcastpodcast.com. So please go check that out. And if you take a look at our Facebook page, we now have a new 40K Radio logo. So please go check that out, uh, courtesy of Terrace, of course, at Geek Nation Tours and the mastermind behind the Freebooters Network. And we will be doing a giveaway for a shirt with the new logo in our next episode. So listen for that. And as always... You know, let us know what you're doing as far as hobbying goes, pictures of games or whatever models you're working on. Um, up there now should be some pictures of the, or as the time this is released, the uh, I'll do some size comparisons with that with that new night so you guys can kind of see that. Check awesome. that out. Um, Ashley will hopefully get some pictures of her avatar that she painted so we can see how awesome it looks. Yeah, I'll work on that. And see if I can... I can get that done. Jeff, did you put up the pictures of your your display board from Adepticon, by any chance? I did not, but I should. I, I keep forgetting to because I didn't get to go this year. That's true. I'll, I'll put hey, those. You're supposed out. to share with us all I know, the things just, that I, happened I have, without us. I have to dig them out. <laughs> it, it was it wasn't that cool, guys. You, I mean, you weren't there, so it wasn't it wasn't the best Adepticon so far, in my opinion, at all. Oh. It was really good. But yeah. next next year you're going to be there, so it's going to be even better. Good save, DF. Good save. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in a couple weeks. Thank you for listening to 40K Radio, part of the Free Buddhist Network. 
you can contact us via email at hosts at 40kradio.com or on the Free Buddhas forum. Please check out the other podcasts on the Free Buddhas network. Until next time, remember that in the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war and cookies. <laughs>